Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. Uh, Jamie, this is kind of a weird, weird uh, time meeting together because we usually uh, don't meet on this day and there's a special reason why we're doing this today. But, but before I get into all that, how are you? I'm doing well, Corey. I had jury duty this morning and I um, very luckily got dismissed. Um, not that I do not want to serve my civil duties, uh, but I did not want to be around that many people uh, being as immunocompromised as I am. So I was happy to um, have been let go, but uh, I think it's kind of thrown off my whole day. <laughs> I'm like, what day is it? Where am I? And then of course, daylight savings, I still have not adjusted. So, this you know, is truth. every year, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I have parent-teacher conferences tonight. So as soon as I get done here, I get to go get dressed and go to uh, that. So dad stuff i know my first one ever like, your I'm first so one. Oh, that's really special yeah it's exciting but he's he's doing really good so i'm excited to to hear them talk about him so proud so uh the reason we're recording today and actually usually jamie and i have about a month out between recording an episode and dropping it but today i think this is our shortest time ever we're doing about four days that's because when this episode airs, it's going to be November 19th, um, which is uh, the World Day for the Prevention of Child Abuse. Um, and we've definitely had people on our podcast who've talked about um, trauma, especially with their childhood, with, with family members, with people in their lives and whatnot. And um, today's guest is somebody who has experience with this stuff, unfortunately. Um, and I will put out a trigger, uh, trigger warning for this episode Maybe talk about some hard stuff. If if you're not in a good place to hear this, uh, pause it and come back when you can. Um, but in the meantime, please welcome our guest, Alicia. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Hi, Alicia. Uh, Hi, <laughs> Alicia. We we found you, and I kind of want to tell the story a little bit. We found you over a year ago, mm-hmm. and we saw your story and uh, just hit a lot of notes for us and. Um, I mean, like in a emotional sort of, you know, like mm, that's hard sort of situation. And we actually talked to you, reached out to you like a year ago and said, Hey, would you want to be on the podcast? And you were like, no, um, <laughs> I'm not in a good place. Like the holidays are coming up and this is just messing me up a little bit. Um, but you're here now and that's what matters that like, you're here to tell the story and, um, yeah, let's just, let's, let's start where you want to start with this. Yeah, I don't know if you want to start at the beginning because there's it's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, sure, let's do it. Okay, we can start there. Um, so when I was five, my biological dad and my mom got divorced. Um, and so throughout this, we kind of explained terminology a little bit because it might get confusing. So I have my bio dad, who's my birth father, obviously, and then I'll also talk about my adopted dad, and then my bio mom and my step monster. And it's just it's kind of keep things, you know. It's very separated and understanding because I know it can get a little confusing, but my bio dad and my bio mom got divorced when I was five. That's when the divorce started. Um, it actually went on for about three years because my bio dad is a lot and he, you know, it was a very ugly custody battle because he was fighting my mom tooth and nail for custody of myself, my twin sister and my youngest bio sister. Um, cause he, you know, it wasn't because he wanted to be a dad. It was because he wanted to win. He's very narcissistic. So that was the best way he could think of to hurt my mom. Sure. And so he fought for custody for us. Yeah, I know it's kind of, it's 
It's sad. My poor mom. She went through some shit. Can we swear? Oh, all Absolutely. you want. Yeah, all you want. Yes. All you want. She went through some shit. Like he put her through it. And so it was a really long um, battle. And I mean, during the divorce, like when they were going through this custody battle, we, myself as well as my twin sister really sided with my bio dad because when they were married, he wasn't ever really around. He just kind of, he worked a lot. He never really paid a lot of attention to us, but then this divorce started and suddenly he was Disneyland dad. Like we were going on vacations. He was spending all of his time with us. He bought us all ponies because my, like my grandma lived on a farm. Like he bought us ponies. Like what five-year-old little girl doesn't want a pony? So yeah, he, you know, he did all that. And he just, we were getting all the attention that we'd like desperately wanted from him before during the divorce. So we thought, you know, that's how it's always going to be. If we go live with him, like he actually wants us now. And so uh, fast forward three years and we're eight years old, myself, my twin sister, and then my younger bios is about three years younger than us. And, um, so fast forward, he gets full custody. And so we go move with him. And at first it was still pretty nice. I mean, he was still around, but it wasn't like as great as it was. He would kind of, we would get home from school and like, he wouldn't be there. We were latchkey kids really young. And that like really didn't bother us because we're kids. We get to stay home alone. It's great. And then about a couple of years later, I was 10 and he met my step monster. And so they met at a bar out here. And it's mm-hmm. funny because it's the same bar where he met my biological mom. So I'm like, it's interesting, like how people just go back to their, you know, like old habits. And so he met her and found out that she lived in the apartments that were two houses, like a house down from us. And so then she started coming around a lot and she had three kids of her own from her previous marriage. And so they dated for about a year and then they got married and she moved in with us and with her kids. And so then all of a sudden there was five girls living in a bedroom. And then my stepbrother got his own room that was next to us. And so that's kind of when it started getting really chaotic. Five girls in one room. How many bathrooms were in this house? So in the house originally, there was just the master bathroom and then the guest bathroom. And so there's only two. And then he did do some like renovating later, like downstairs and put in another bathroom and three bedrooms downstairs. So when I was a teenager, we eventually got our own rooms, but there for a while, it was for quite a few years. I think until I was about 12, we all stayed in that bedroom together. You said your, your, your younger sister was three years younger than you. So what was like the total age, like age So I was the oldest in the house. And so, and then the difference between me and the youngest would be, I think eight years. Yeah. About eight years. Cause I was 10 when they moved in and she was two. So yeah, there's like an eight between that, like there's kids here and there. Cause then my stepbrother was a year younger than we were. And then my second youngest stepsister, I think is five years younger than me. Mm ever take something like that it's hard to remember now but yeah then the youngest obviously eight years younger so there was a lot we had two bunk beds on either side of the room where myself and my twin sister slept and then on the other side my bio sister my youngest bio sister and then the second youngest stepsister slept there and then the youngest stepsister slept in like a toddler bed on the floor wow. in the bedroom wow yeah so it was really crazy and I just remember that's kind of when um things started getting a little rough. They, it was really weird. Cause it was like my childhood stopped at that point. Um, cause suddenly it, it became like 
getting kids up and getting them ready for school and making sure they ate breakfast and walking us all to school together. And then like my youngest stepsister would go to daycare, but that's like, I was in charge of making sure that everybody got up and everybody was being taken care of. And so that got really chaotic. And I remember it being really confusing and they, I don't know, my relationship with my bio dad and my step monster was kind of like, I was the, their parentified child, like right off the bat. It's, I was responsible and they would do these things where they like make me feel really good about it by like telling me how helpful I was and all this stuff. And like, there's a difference between being helpful and like full-blown taking care of. Was your, was your twin also put in that position as well? Or was that mainly you? Um, a little bit, not as intense as I was, but at first she definitely like had to help a lot. And then once we hit like 12, 13, she kind of more became one of the other kids I needed to look after because she was more rebellious. Her and my step monster didn't get along at all. And they really pushed her kind of away. They def- put a very big wedge in between us uh, because they only needed one of us to take care of the kids. They didn't need both of us to. And I was more complicit than she was. What were they doing? <laughs> Whatever they wanted. It like looking back, it doesn't really make sense. Cause like my bio dad, he was self-employed. So he very easily could like, cause like later on, I'll talk about how I had to like pick kids up from school and take kids to school and do all of these things and homework and all that nonsense. And it's like, he didn't ever do that. And he was self-employed, like he made his own schedule. So he could. And then my step monster, she, I don't know. She didn't really want to be a parent back into like her backstory a little bit. She got married really young to a man who was much older than she was. And she started taking care of his kids in her previous marriage before she had her three. So it was kind of like when she got with my bio dad, it was like, I don't want to take care of kids anymore. And then they kind of like forced all that onto myself and then my twin sister also for a little bit. So they're, they're putting some expectation on you. And I'm sure that, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's, oh, you're so helpful. It's validating you to an extent, but I mean, what was it like if you failed somehow as the parent, the parental kid, you know, like were, were they, were they like, we expected more of you? I mean, what was that like? It was more of like, I I was worthless and ungrateful and spoiled and how dare I, you know, not take care of them. I remember we used to fight a lot about like when, at first, um, when I had to start taking care of them, myself and my twin sister would kind of fight with them because we're like, we're not your built-in babysitters. We're not your maids. And then that's when it would get like very physically abusive, very verbally abusive. And we, the number one word that sticks out in my brain is like always ungrateful, like how ungrateful of us to not take care of their kids because they're providing us with the basic necessities that you should give a child, like a roof and food. So. Cause he fought for you to do that for you. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. How dare we, he fought so hard in custody and spent so much money on lawyers and we needed to be grateful for that. Wow. Well, well, and uh, the, narciss- the narcissism is, <laughs> is very strong. clear yeah. off the bat here. Yes, exactly. Very strong with that one. Mm-hmm. And so what was, was your bio mom in your life at all at this point at all? She was um, for quite a while. So at first when he got custody before he married Step Monster, she lived down the street from us. Um, mm-hmm. And she, well, I guess it's a little bit further than down the street, but she lived pretty close by. And she would have us like once a week and every other weekend, like a typical custody schedule. And then when I hit 10 years old, also around the time, a little bit shortly after Step Monster and Bio Dad got married, she moved to Vegas to live with her boyfriend. Um, she was going to take care of his mom who was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. 
And so she said she was going to go out there and then she was going to come back. Um, after his mom like passed away, she was just out there to help, but she ended up going out there and building a life for herself and she was a lot happier. And so she ended up staying there. And so we'd go see her like on school breaks or she'd come out and see us, but she wasn't living close by anymore. Well, just the layer of grief for your mother in that, like, it doesn't even sound like if she wanted to, or had the means to fight for you guys that she was going to win. Yeah, no. And she did. She, she fought hard. She fought tooth and nail. There was actually an advocate that was for us, um, that had called her and left a voicemail saying that if my mom couldn't pay her appropriately or something like that, that she might have to write her recommendation in favor of the other party. And it's because my bio dad is so narcissistic. He's so charming, so manipulative. Everybody loves him. And I don't know why. And I mean, like, I guess I get it now because as a kid, I was very manipulated by him. And then it didn't really hit me until I was like in my twenties, like a couple years ago of like how crappy and toxic he really is. But yeah, there, everybody loved him. And, wow. you know, can you talk a little bit about like the, if, if you were, what you remember from like the court hearings, because if I understand correctly, like you at that age, like how much influence of what you said you wanted, mm -hmm. you know, so there's the custody depending on. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that with that too, because, um, so like we would talk about wanting to go live with him and not wanting to live with my mom, obviously, because my mom is having to rebuild her life because she was a stay at home mom before they got divorced. And so she had to go get a job. She had to go get her own place and do all of this stuff on her own while paying, trying to fight for custody and doing all of that. So she wasn't really present. Like even when we were there, you could tell she was stressed. She's very tired. She's depressed dealing with her own mental health issues. I mean, her whole life came crumbling down to pieces and then having my bio dad as an ex would just be awful too. So that was just rough. But as kids, when, you know, we'd say that we would tell counselors that we wanted to live with my bio dad. And then things started to happen where he would manipulate us into saying things about my mom that weren't true. Like I very vividly remember us sitting at a kitchen table in my grandma's house. And then my grandma, as well as him coaching us into saying that I saw my mom try to drown my twin sister in the bathtub wow. and like saying that she was trying to do that because she was mad at us. And we were there for a long time because I remember we started, he came home from work at lunchtime to eat and it was dark by the time we were done. And this was in the summer. So that's a very long time of us sitting at this table being coached into saying these things. And it happened for so long that I can picture the incident happening, but it never did. Like, I know that it never did, but because he sat there and said it over and over and over, I can see it as if it's a memory of my mom doing that, which never happened. Oh my God. I mean, I never thought about like the trauma of a story that isn't even real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But, and it, like, I know that that didn't happen. And it took a long time of breaking that down to realize that it's not a real memory. And it was like, my brain remembered that part as a kid. Like when I started therapy, I remembered like my mom potentially trying to drown us in the bathtub, but I couldn't remember us being coached until later. And then like remembering, I remember it like hit me like a ton of bricks of sitting there, remembering my grandma, as well as my bio dad coaching us into what to say. And so that's just one incident. Another time, um, my cousins, they, their dad was also getting divorced. And so they were also living at my grandparents' house on their dad's weekends. 
And so there would be like six kids at my grandma's and who doesn't want to like stay and hang out with their cousins all the time. Right. So that was great. We were living the life and they had come over for their weekend and we didn't want to leave because they were there. And I had called my mom to ask if we could stay. And she was telling me, no, you have school tomorrow. You can't stay typical mom stuff. And so I just said, okay. And like hung up the phone and went and told my bio dad that mom says we can't stay because we have school tomorrow. And he looked back at me and said, she said, you have to go home or she's going to beat you. And they just kept repeating it over and over. They called the police and everything. A police officer drove up, like followed us home to my mom's house, who was like living where we ended up living later because she got to keep the house, um, but had followed us back there to, you know, tell her that if she laid a hand on us, she would go to jail. And I just remember my mom like crying and being so upset after, after the officer left and she looked right at me and was like, I can't believe you would say that. And it's like, I didn't, I remember feeling so confused and it's like, because I, I didn't, I didn't say that. Like he made me say that. And she didn't, at the time she was processing her own grief, going through her own feelings and couldn't understand like I, a child was manipulated by this man who manipulated her an adult. So like, why is it so shocking that he could do it to me? And it's just things like that. He would, he was ruthless. And he, um, another time my mom had talked to our teachers after he got custody and was wanting um, copies of like our report cards and like their thoughts on how we were doing in school after we started living with him. And all of a sudden, cause she was at this point, the custody was still going on. Like she was still fighting for custody of us after he had already gotten full custody. And the teachers wrote letters saying that we were more withdrawn, that our grades had dropped significantly. We were coming to school dirty. We obviously weren't being taken care of. We were coming to school hungry and all this stuff. And he went to the school after he found out about it and intimidated all of our, both of our teachers and fought with the school. And so when the teachers and my principal had to go up on the stand, cause they got subpoenaed by my mom's lawyer, when they had to go up on the stand at court, all they kept saying was, I don't recall. I don't recall saying that. I don't recall writing that letter. And it's, so that's just the type of person he is. Like he always gets his way and he gets what he wants. And so that had a really big um, effect on like why he got custody. I think about that a lot now as an adult, I'm like, I'm sorry, if you're a teacher, your job is to advocate for those children. And if they had just stuck with it, like my life could have been very different. Bowled over um, by the power of one person mm -hmm. over so many people. I mean, adults so too. And he would tell us all the time, he knows everybody. And it's like, we... I remember when we were, let's see, we were still in elementary school. So I think we were like 11, 10 or 11. And we um, had decided we were going to tell my school counselor about what was going on at our house after my stepmonster had moved in. And my, we decided we were going to do it. And while we were in there talking to her, our librarian came into her office, like interrupted the meeting. And we both like looked at each other terrified because she went to church with my aunt, who's like on my bio dad's side. And so in our kid brains, we were like, oh my God, like she's going to tell him that we were talking to the counselor. And so we just like stopped and just acted like we were just, just there to say hi and left. You poor thing. <laughs> so as you're growing up, I mean, obviously you're you're intimidated, you know, by not only your, your father and, and your, your step monster, 
but also, you know, your basically you're just you everyone who you see you're like oh this person knows there's a connection somewhere so was there a point where you started to shake that that fear where you started to be more defiant i guess of, of that in your life i honestly didn't stop being scared of him until i was in my 20s like when i told him off on easter so i think this was like two three years ago next year wow. i told him off so early 20s 23 is when i finally was just like told him I wasn't scared of him anymore and told him about the things that he did that were abusive because he'd gotten in a fight with my twin sister on the phone and then called me about it. And it's because she called him out first on all the things he did to us. And then he called me to like talk shit on her. And I was like, no, like, she's right. You can't put locks on pantry doors. You can't lock children in bathrooms. You can't do these or lock. Wow. Lock children in bedrooms. You can't lock, put locks on pantry doors. You can't do those things. It's abusive. And he just, I'm like, do you have anything to say about this? And he said, all he said to me was, I'm just letting you get it out so you can get it over with, or so you can get over it. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I just hung up on him because I was done and we haven't spoken to each other since then. It's never too late to stand up to your abusers. Mm -mm. <laughs> never. <laughs> we had a previous guest who was on here early on in the show and she she was abused by her mom and basically just wrote her a letter said, I'm no, I'm not part of the family anymore. Like she basically just completely separated clean break. And I mean, while it's good for you and it obviously was the right choice you made, I'm sure there was still a grieving process there too, because um, regardless sometimes of how our family treats us and maybe you have a different opinion on this, but um, we, we still have this attachment, this connection to them because they're our, our parents, you know, they brought us into the world, but I mean, I'm sure you had a process of grief still even trying to, even if you were not under that cycle of abuse, you're like, man, you know, I, who do I have left now? You know, what, what do I have left? My, my family, we're not here with this, you know, with my dad anymore, I think so. Right. And you know, there was a little bit, but it wasn't really with him. It was more with my step monster, honestly, me and her were really close. Uh, I was always kind of the, I feel like with kids, we can tell as sibling, like with our siblings who our parents favor. And at first with my bio dad, it was my twin sister. And with my mom, it was definitely my youngest bio sister. Those two, like my youngest bio sister is exactly what my mom wanted in a daughter. Me and my twin sister were more like tomboys and like we were total daddy's girls. And so, you know, she had her, but step monster because I didn't have anyone immediately like latched onto me. And we were extremely close. We did everything together. And that um, that was part of the hardest part about like losing my bio dad. I mean, they had gotten divorced at this point, but I still even now feel more grief for her than I ever do for him. And I think there's with him, there's like a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred, but with her, it's like, she's also a victim, just like my mom. She's also one of his victims and it sucks because we were really close. And then now she's not there, you know, like she always made my birthday a really big deal. We'd go tanning together. We'd go shopping and do all these fun things that she didn't really do with the other kids. And looking back also, that is like in therapy, like we've kind of dissected that. And that is a part of grooming because, you know, making me feel important and superior to the other kids. I'm not going to, I'm less likely to ask, act out and be defiant. Like my twin sister was, and I'm more likely to do these favors for her. And, you know, with her also, we would, drink together. She got me smoking cigarettes at 14 and was buying me alcohol. And so I was the cool kid. I mean, I had, I had alcohol, I smoked cigarettes and my step monster was buying it for me. So, 
you know, that was a really interesting thing too. And I mean, I've had one therapist say that people love you in the way that they know how. And I mean, that makes sense. She looked at me like I was one of her friends, but then also I also see it as grooming of, you know, there, my, my wife, she, uh, she was a teacher at an inner city school, um, back when we started dating and we would talk about, um, how easy it is to mess up a child because, uh, inner city school, obviously, um, it wasn't uncommon like you to, to see the nine-year-old raising the five-year-old and, mm-hmm. you know, who gets you up my sister, who makes your breakfast, my sister, or right. it was, it wasn't uncommon to see, you know, uh, a single parent home or family where grandma's raising you because mom can't mom mom's not in the picture dad's in jail and um but i mean really like this whole uh, even beyond like how it affected you as a child i mean i'm sure you carried so much of this into so many aspects of your life for a really long time oh yeah no definitely i mean i still have some like toxic coping mechanisms that I'm having to pull myself away from. Like I'm always, I always date people who need to be taken care of. And I'm always like willing to push that boundary of like, I'll pay. I usually in like the two long-term relationships I've had, I've always paid all of the rent. I've always paid all of the bills. I've just taken care of everything. So that way they don't have to. And eventually it causes like resentment later on, but I always do that because I need to be the caregiver. And like, I can't just like let people handle things on their own. I always date people who are a lot older than me. And I mean, like with work, even I have to be the best at what I'm doing. I need to like be in everyone's good graces. I need to be the hardest working employee there. And it's the point, like, even if I'm working myself to death, like I I need to do it. And I've slowly started to unlearn that. I've slowly started setting boundaries and like taking my lunch breaks and, you know, not kind of dog groomer. So like I stopped grooming as many dogs. I learned to say no. I learned to set my schedule and like stick to it, but it took a long time to get to that point because I was raised needing to please everyone at every point. I'm sure you're doing a really amazing job at everything you do without the extra craziness. <laughs> no, definitely. Like I definitely, I have to overachieve with everything. And like, you know, that can be a lot of people see that as like, Oh, well that's great. And it's like, yeah, but not when I'm, you know, working 12 hours a day. Yeah. When it's at the expense of your mental health, it's not right. It's not. Yeah. I totally understand. Yeah. But I totally get it. I'm, I'm kind of the same way too. I'm a kind of a caretaker person and I'll, I'll always go hundred percent for somebody else. Um, and maybe, and I'm learning, I'm getting better with boundaries with my friendships and everything like that too, in my life, obviously. So, yeah. but I think um, these are really important takeaways, um, yeah. you know, for sure of, I mean, for anyone, um, of, you know, just making sure that you are putting up boundaries and that it, it is okay to speak up for yourself and it is okay to take care of yourself and, um, you know, we, we give these graces to everyone else and then we don't accept them or give them to ourselves. And it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, a thousand but it's because of how we grew up. <laughs> right. It's, it's totally true. Um, so you're talking a lot about therapy, obviously you're very pro therapy, which is great. Uh, yeah, um, definitely. Everybody needs to go to therapy. <laughs> I five on that one. <laughs> so yeah, I like thinking about, what else, what else do you do for yourself just out of curiosity to, to help yourself heal and to, to give yourself the room to do what you need to besides therapy? Um, a lot of things, I don't know. I, 
I exercise a lot. Um, it did like become like a negative thing because that whole overachieving thing, but I've got it under control now. Like I've set boundaries because otherwise I get hyper fixated, but it is like a good way for me to help to like work through anxiety. Like after this, since we've been talking about, it, it's really triggering. I'm going to take my dogs and go walk two miles, but yeah, I do that. Um, I also, I do like, I have hobbies. Like I really like, I'm super into dog training or I watch law and order SVU. Like it's my job. Just, I have things I've started to find things that I like doing. And that's kind of, that's helped a lot with coping of like, if I'm having a rough day, it's like, if I need to sit and watch 11 episodes of SVU, I'm going to do it. Cause it just, it makes me feel better. So Jamie, you don't know this, but her dog's name is Livy Benson. Is that a character from <laughs> okay never mind you, oh my person. gosh jamie you're killing me i know so, i know I'm, but i'm i'm, I'm gonna redeem it people. i'm gonna redeem it i was at motor city comic con in august and i met ice t i got a picture with him that i'm so jealous you know what if i could meet marishka hargate i would die happy that's you know i just want to play a dead body on svu but then my manager was like we were talking about it Cause she's a huge fan too. And so we were talking about, she's like, yeah, but Mariska would just lean over you. And I'm like, stop instant gay panic. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> like, I love her. I don't know. And it's definitely the mommy issues, but I don't care. <laughs> I have judgment no here. She's gorgeous. <laughs> Phenomenal. And you know, she's a wonderful actress and the things that she does for like sexual abuse survivors, all of that, like she's great, but yeah, no, I, SVU really like helps me like get, you know, I can dissociate and just watch that. Or like I said, go for walks. I also have a really bad plant shopping habit. So I do that. But, but you know, the SVU thing real quick, because it's interesting that, because we, we're going to, we're going to make this a little lighter right now. Kind of. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> kind but of. Yeah. But people like watch SVU. Um, but it's interesting because like, it's such, it's such a, uh, like on paper, you know, this person was, was sexually assaulted and, you know, murdered, whatever, and violated. And, and it's like, it's like the, the longest running law and order show of all time. And it's like, we just can't get enough of like this, this kind of content. It's really strange. Like how some people, you know, just, I don't know. It's you know, for me, I think it's because a lot of the time the victims get justice like yeah. that's what, and like just like watching like olivia benson or rollins and just like the team in general like fighting so hard for them to get justice like i don't know if anybody's seen the new season but like benson was really coming for the chief like she just with the way that she was handling some stuff where he was trying to say like that's not a good victim and she's like i don't turn my back on any victim and i'm like yes queen we love to see it <laughs> because it doesn't happen it's just like i feel like in real life even like in my experience with abuse like everybody's so quick to be invalidating versus like actually crazy and they just yeah, i don't know you just have to have you know you can have a videotape and 15 witnesses saying that somebody did it and all he has to say is i that he didn't so it's really well, interesting the good news is we always validate here nobody we, we never <laughs> we, we always listen um, uh yeah and very 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 valid <laughs> um <laughs> But um, I know you've been, you've gone through all of this crazy mess, but um, I just want to give you some props because you've, you tell your story in social media and you don't shirk, I mean, like, obviously uh, you don't hide behind things. You put it out there as it is. And even if you're not, you know, doing it in a certain way, everybody who sees it, who has gone through that is is affected by you in a positive way so i really i really hope you understand that that's a really powerful thing and um so many people we've met on this this podcast uh you know they're just telling their story that they're not doing anything really beyond that sometimes and 
a lot of times all the story is, is enough. You know, it's people saying I have a narcissistic mother-in-law or um, we had a podcast guest uh, this year who um, was sexually assaulted in her teens and her mom blamed her for it. You know what I mean? And, and stuff like that. So people just telling their stories, acknowledging this happened to me and someone goes, yeah, it's happened to me too. And I'm sure you get a lot of people saying um, either I'm sorry, this happened to you or gosh, this is what it was like for me as a kid too, probably. Yeah. And you know, that's like the best and the worst part because it really sucks. Cause I'm like, I, that really is shitty that it happened to you, but then it's also validating in itself. And I mean, it's what I really liked, like, like about sharing my story too, is the people who also come from middle-class families who are talking or even upper class too, who talk about the abuse they experience. Because a lot of the time when I tell my story, people think that I came from like lower class and live in a trailer with, you know, and live in, in poverty. And it's like, no, I was living in your white picket fence, live, laugh, love Mormon household. And on the outside, everything looks great, but you go inside and my bedroom door has a lock on it turned around so they can lock us in, or there's a lock on the pantry and you're not allowed to eat if the parents aren't home. And, you know, I'm taking care of a bunch of kids and while also being a child myself and trying to do going, trying to go above and beyond like they expect of me. And so it's really, I don't, I don't really know how to explain. It's really validating having other people be like, you know what? I experienced this too. And they also come from a, the same background that I did. And, right. I mean, and you're, uh, you're educating people that this does happen no matter, you know, what class you're in, um, how much money you have, um, right. you know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, there, yeah. and, and I think probably eye-opening for some people to, you know, hear your story and realize like, oh shit, I'm being abused. Yeah. I had or a I, you know, comment on my status or on my video and they were like, wait, what do you mean? It's not normal. And I'm like, oh honey, no. And like instantly like it, that really <laughs> fucked me up. Cause I was like, oh my God, there's people who don't realize that this isn't normal and that this isn't okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, and the, there are some good parts though, of like the comments of like teachers commenting, being like, oh, like, like, thank you for the reminder to not let socioeconomic status influence my, you know, fears or suspicions about a kid being abused. And, you know, a lot of people, they, well, you know, you get the negative comments. Some people saying like, oh, you were just disciplined and you're mad about it. And I'm like, no, I was abused and I'm mad about it. And then I'm like, no, and I will die mad about it. If it keeps one kid from growing up the way that I did, like, no, it's not how it, that's not how any of this works. Like you're part of the problem you'll get people who comment and say, oh, abuse is just more common in lower class families. Like it's not more common. You just hear about it more often because, you know, the, I live in a, I lived in a white middle-class live, laugh, love Mormon household. That's not the thing that comes to your brain when you think of child abuse. And especially when it comes to religion in general, like people who identify like so strongly with religion and I'm not a Mormon by any means. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian, but I definitely know people, you know, too, like just the, the scrutiny they, you know, that happens, especially under like the abuse of people who are religious too, you know, who put on this air, so to speak. And Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I used to nanny at a church. Uh-huh. Um, like I, like, the, you know, I was in like the, the toddler infant room during, during services on Sundays. And um, I would see a lot, like I would babysit for one of the family Saturday night they'd come home, the mom would like throw up in the sink, you know, <laughs> like really crazy, you know? And then the next morning, like, hi, Jamie, <laughs> like nothing happened. And, you know, you know? and they'd be fighting and 
you know, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cover-ups in a lot of ways. Right. Well, that's how it was for us. Like they portrayed themselves as Mormon, but we weren't obviously, like I said, my stepmonsters buy me cigarettes and alcohol and yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Like chew tobacco, like swearing constantly. We, but we had to be in church on Sunday. She's like the mom for mean girls. For real. I'm a cool mom. (laughs) I, I have a question though, about, you know, that relationship. So you said that like you, you are basically, you know, mourning the the loss of that relationship, but at the same time you do like, you recognize that she was part of the abuse. So can you talk a little bit more about, about that and, and how you've come to heal or, you know, are healing from that? You know, that's kind of where the term step monster came from was because of the relationship I had with her, because it's, it would truly take a monster to do what she did where she's sitting here and she's like loving me and giving me all these, you know, things. And we're spending so much time together and being like this mother figure that I always wanted that the kind of relationship I didn't have with my biological mom. And so she's doing all this, but then also at the same time, like she's telling my bio dad that I didn't, that she cleaned when I didn't. And then like, he beats the shit out of me for it or just stupid things like that. And it's like, then she, then she comes outside though. And we have a cigarette together and everything's normal. So it was just really weird things like that. But there is a lot of grief there with losing her, especially around my birthday, around the holidays. And it's just because we were really close. Um, she always made my birthday a really big deal. And there's a lot of like other grief and tension there because her and my twin sister hated each other. They did not get along. Like my step monster punched her in the face. Like there's like a whole bunch of like tension there. And so I feel guilty about mourning the loss of her because my twin sister and I are really close now. We weren't um, from like 12 years old up until the last couple of years. Um, We weren't as close as we used to be when we were kids. And it's because of that, like because of the abuse, we the way they pitted us against each other. But there is a lot of like, grief there in losing that relationship because like I said she was the mother figure that I wanted she was the person that I talked to she was the one that like when I was really upset or when I was getting divorced like she was the one that I called she you know was that person for me and then I lost her and it was almost I don't know she was just she was gone and I didn't really know what to do it was like being abandoned all over again gosh I'm really sorry (laughs) it's are you going to write a book at some point? I feel like you, feel like you could write you know, a book. I might. I've considered it because I used to be really good at writing in high school and I've thought about it. I thought it'd be really therapeutic, but like baby steps. <laughs> it took us a year to get here. So I can imagine how long it'll take. Sure. <laughs> yeah. we, we, well, it's funny to say that we just talked to somebody uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, podcast, and she was saying that when she was writing her memoir, like her book, like that was a, like it was, it took her, it spiraled her but she was like okay i i just gotta get this book and i gotta write it all down and then i can you know heal from it i'm like that's that's dangerous brave very brave and um brave 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 to even be here so we appreciate it so much (laughs) because you know you sharing this will really really help so many other people that you know again have either been through it or 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 not realizing (laughs) you know so one thing we do on this podcast, um, as we get towards the end of the episode, is we always ask, uh, everyone who listens knows what we're going to do next, but um, we have them, we have our guests finish this sentence. It can be a single word. It can be 
multiple words, but how would you finish the sentence grief is? Grief is uncomfortable. It's, it can be debilitating. It's freeing at the same time, depending on the situation. You know, there's, I think there's a lot of words <laughs> to describe what it is, but it's messy. Absolutely. <laughs> it is a mess. <laughs> it is a hot mess. <laughs> yes. Wrapped in a dumpster fire. Grief is a hot mess wrapped in a dumpster fire. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> it's true. Um, you hear that grief? You're a hot mess. <laughs> we, uh, we should make that out of a t-shirt too, I think. Right? We've, we've always talked we about- We can do a collab. We'll do, do a collab. collab. <laughs> but Alicia, thank you so much for being here today for, for sharing this story. I know it's it's hard. Hopefully, you know, you're in an okay place right now and hopefully you won't be like, man, I'm therapy going, man, the podcaster's making me relive this stuff. No, no um, I'll be, nah, I feel good. This is like probably the easiest one that I've done talking about all this stuff. So it's great. You guys are awesome. Good. All You're right. Awesome too. Thank yes. You. And everyone listening, um, we'll talk to you later. Bye everybody.